My name is Fred Mock, and yes, we are launching Quicksilver Church today. And uh, Ron, who led our pre-service meeting, said um, in, our, in his prayer that this has been an, an unexpected way to start a church, an unexpected year. And, I, and that was kind of the spiritual focus is everything that we're doing has been unexpected. And so there, there is most of, most of the things we feel like the unexpected has been something negative. But one of the positive things is we've been able to start and start meeting as a church for it feels like months now, I think it's been months um, that we've been meeting um, together on Sundays over Zoom, not in person. And so we're just continuing like this kind of unex unexpected nature um, of how we are doing um, church together. And we're also kicking off the series in Genesis. Um, we're gonna be going through Genesis one through 11. And you know, I think it's appropriate for a church plant. And I really uh, kind of dislike the um, egotistical and ideal idealistic nature of most church plants where we, we are setting out to change the world and solve world hunger and we're going to address racial injustice and that's going to happen tomorrow. Um, and, I, and as much as I detest it, I also want to be um, honest and say that's also part of my ambition, right? I mean, not, maybe not solve world hunger or solve racial injustice, but there is a degree of idealism and even egotism that goes with starting a church, right? Because we think that God, God wants to do something new and God wants to do something new through us. And so I think this Genesis is an appropriate starting place for, be able, for being able to, um, to do that. And like I said, 2020 has been just a massive reset kind of year um, where so many things have been um, stopped for various reasons. And even now we're in this time of chaos where like, I think we're going to have, we were going to have a kickball event today, kickball kickoff. Um, that's probably not going to happen due to air quality. So you can't be, um, you can't be outside, you know, even being indoors has its problems because you're on a device. Um, there's uncertainty around school, around work, around relationships, around where to live. Um, and so I think this text is very relevant to us. And I think um, among all the, the texts that we could look at in the scripture, um, because there is this idea of what does God do? Um, when he creates, like, what is the character of God? And so I'm going to share, um, I'm going to share some slides. I'm going to have James put them up. And I wanted, as we approach the book of Genesis, you're going to have certain impressions um, that come from the book of Genesis. And I want you to look at the screen and, and, and tell me which one of these um, can you most relate with. Okay. So he's going to put up um, a slide. And so the, the three, the three kinds are um, the three types, if you will, the ways to look at Genesis. These are kind of our, our first impressions. Um, if you've grown up in the church, then one view of Genesis that you've seen is that it describes science. Okay, it's a scientific depiction, especially Genesis 1, chapter 1, of how God created the earth in these seven literal 24-hour periods. And I'm looking at, I'm looking at Austin. He's, he's here um, because I know that's one of the views that he was brought up with. Okay, and so that might be, um, that might be one view that you've had. Um, the other one, if you've rejected the science view or you have come or you're coming, you're not coming from a faith background um, and you've read Genesis, especially chapter one, then you're going to re regard it as myth. Okay. And when I say myth, there's actually a couple different definitions of the word myth. One is as a fairy tale, as something that's untrue, something that's false. Now, that is certainly one aspect of the meaning of myth, but there's another aspect of meaning for myth, and that is that it's a explanation for the cosmos. Okay, it's like a theological understanding of why we are here. And in that sense, Genesis is absolutely mythic. 
and that is it intended to explain how we got here and what our purpose is. Okay, so each of these is a little bit incomplete. Even the science one, there is something, there, God is doing something real in the book of Genesis. It's just not going to conform to any type of scientific categories because it, it was written before science existed. And then the last, the last category that, um, that you could probably, again, have is to view Genesis, whether it's chapter one or the entire book, as some kind of anomaly, as, um, as, some, as an aberration. It's some kind of strange exception. Um, and I think for a lot of Christians and people of faith, we tend to regard the Old Testament as being completely distinct from the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you have wrath, you have evil, you have genocide, you have rape, murder, incest, you have all these, uh, you have uh, this almost sacrifice of a child that God commands. Um, disturbing things happen in Genesis in the Old Testament. Um, and in the New Testament, you have baby Jesus in a manger. Um, you have peace-loving Jesus. You have all these different kind of pictures of who God is, and it's very difficult to reconcile together. So those are the, the different views that you can come to this text with. And yet, if, I, if you can go to the next slide, what I want to offer is that as we approach the Bible, would we read the Bible according to what it teaches? Okay, and I know that sounds super simple and maybe even obvious, but so many times we come to the Bible according to our presupposition that was given by another person. And again, I don't want to underrate the role that people have in um, giving us a certain perception of what the text says, but could I just say, could we let the Bible interpret itself? Could we allow the scriptures to help us understand what the Bible says? So let me give one example. Um, next, next slide um, from Mark 12. Mark 12, 26. Okay, Jesus is now, Jesus is in a conversation with Pharisees who are trying to trap him about the resurrection. And this is what Jesus says. And as for the dead being raised, Mark, this is Mark 12, 26. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And what I want you to notice here is it doesn't talk, okay, and by the way, um, Genesis, uh, Le Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteron Deuteronomy, what we commonly know as the five books of the Bible, the first five books of the Bible, they compose the Pentateuch, okay? And yet they are all one book. So if you go back to the Mark passage, um, those, the book of Moses is considered all one book. It's all one book. The Pentateuch is all one book. And often we segregate it into the book of Genesis. And I'm probably going to make that mistake. In fact, just, just know, I'm going to make that mistake um, even today, calling it the book of Genesis. But it's actually the, the first part of Genesis. And the book itself is the Pentateuch, these five books that Moses wrote. And so whenever you see um, in Scripture, in the New Testament, when it's referring to um, the book of Moses, you won't see Genesis, you won't see Exodus, but you know this quotation, this reference that, um, that Jesus is giving, it comes from what we know as Exodus, okay, when the, the burning bush. And it says how God spoke, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are all uh, patriarchs that are described in Genesis, Okay, but it's all meant to compose one book. So that's the first thing I kind of want to give you today, that there is a connection between Genesis and the rest of the Bible. Okay, and, and certainly a connection between the Pentateuch, these five, what we call books or five parts, and the rest of the Bible. And by the way, one, one quick thing, 
um, it was it's speculated that the reason why Genesis was divided into um, its own book and all these were divided into books is, is because of scroll length. Like it just became too heavy to roll up the scroll. And so they had to divide it into further books, right? So there's just logistical concerns um, that dictated why um, this, this, huge, this text was divided into, into various books. All right. And so, um, good next slide. Um, what we're going to do now is I'm going to read, I'm going to have Annalisa read Genesis 1, 1 to 2, 3. And if you go to the next slide, um, James. Um, and what I'd like you to do as you listen, and there's going to be a couple ways to listen. Um, what I'd like you to do is to listen with fresh ears, to notice what's happening. Okay. And, and I know for myself, because I'm, I'm a pretty, um, I'm an antsy person, um, I need to get up and move around um, as I'm listening to this. So I'd encourage you to get in whatever posture you're able to listen and receive these words the best. And it's probably going to take about five minutes to read. Okay, she's going to read it out loud. She's going to read for about five minutes. Um, and it's going to take about five minutes to read. Um, and if you, we will have the words on the slides. So if you want to read it from the slides, that's great. Um, you can also close your eyes or you can, you can watch her. Annalisa, take it away. All right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons, and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. 
And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the, all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Annalisa. That, that's a long read. That's, that reads no joke. And uh, I, I think it's probably uh, pretty rare that you're going to read that length of a scripture in church. Um, and yet I think it is so valuable and precious because oftentimes, especially um, churches that take scripture seriously, we tend to take it in these little, these little bite-sized chunks. And often it can be really helpful to get a picture of what the entire forest looks like before you dive into the trees, or in this case, the entire, what the entire universe looks like um, before digging into these individual elements. And so what I wanted to do is ask a question, and I'm not going to ask for a response right now, um, but I'd like you to think about some observations, okay? I want you to notice what was going on through the entire text, okay? And in, in seminary, we have this class, this hermeneutics class, where it's about reading. And one of the things we talk about is making macro observations, okay? A macro observation. A micro observation is something that you do within a verse, or it's looking at a particular word. But a macro observation, for instance, is like, what is the tone? What is the atmosphere um, of the passage? And the whole idea of reading that entire section is to give a feel because often when the scripture was being read, this entire section was being read. In fact, it was probably the first couple chapters that was being read. And there's another creation account that's coming in chapter two that was meant to be read alongside this. Um, but since we're not used to it, we're just gonna start with chapter one. And then also you'll notice that the chapter divisions are kind of, I'm, I'm going off. Um, the chapter divisions are a little bit artificial because the seventh day is actually stuck on the, on the second chapter. Those were put in later. Okay, so let's, let's, let, me, let me share with you the one, an initial macro observation that's going on in here. Each day, 
ends with evening and then morning. Okay, each day is marked by evening and then morning, except for the seventh day. So the macro observation is all six days have evening and morning, and it has evening and morning at the end. You can the, the day is marked by the end, right? And then it starts evening and morning. I have no idea why it goes evening and morning rather than morning and evening, but I do also notice that it goes evening and the morning, right? Um, and so I have three points coming from this passage. One is that God begins in chaos and absence. Two, that God creates in rhythm. And then three, that God speaks in purpose and identity. And let me start with the first one, that God begins in chaos and absence. Now you'll notice in verse two, it says the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And there's been, there's been literally books written about just these verses, actually this phrase, without form and void. And this is one of those things where pastors love to do. Um, they like to say the Hebrew and it's tohu wabohu. It just sounds great. Tohu wabohu. Tohu is without form, wa is the and, and bohu is void, right? And it could be translated wasteness, to lay waste, to be um, deserted, emptiness, vanity, nothing. That's tohu. And bohu is a similar thing, a vacuum. It's only used in the Hebrew Bible. But the, the idea here is that God likes to start in chaos and absence. That's the way he begins. Um, and what we're seeing today is that there's all kinds of chaos and absence in our world. Um, and, and yet, what I want to be careful, and when it says, when it talks about without form and void, we're not yet talking about evil, okay? Evil hasn't been introduced yet. And we will talk about the Gospel of John and how he begins with a similar kind of creation account, but we're not talking evil just yet. And so we're, we're living in a time of chaos and also absence where you're, no, you're, you're not supposed to go outside, you're glued to your um, devices. Um, we're deep in election season. We've got racial injustice going on. We're surrounded by fires and the air quality is terrible. Um, but I want us to take a second and also recognize the context in which the Pentateuch and this part of Genesis was being written. Moses wrote this likely um, toward the end of his life after spending 80 years um, under Egyptian captivity, or at least 40 years in Egyptian captivity and then 40 years in the, in the wilderness. And so what we, what we wanna notice here is that uncertainty and chaos was part of Moses' life, who was the author of this book. And then the other aspect I want you to think about is as this document, the Pentateuch was being compiled and put together, these writings, that was also during Babylonian captivity when the Jews, the audience for the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, the audience was the Jews, um, was the nation of Israel. And throughout the course of um, when this document was being compiled was a time of great uncertainty and chaos. Um, a friend of mine um, who is just turned, I think he's 89, I think he was born in 1931, um, was just posted something on Facebook. His name's Hans. And one thing he mentioned is uh, living through, he was one of the Hitler youth and he lived through, the, through World War II in all kinds of um, distress over the last 90 years, right? Almost 90 years. And one of his points were is like, yes, we, we are experiencing chaos and uncertainty right now. And yet that has been the way of this world. And so could we, could we just recognize that what we're experiencing today for those throughout history um, is not as big was was they're a lot more accustomed to okay and that even the way the book of genesis the 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 part genesis was written was written 
out of a time of chaos and uncertainty um, to a people who were experiencing chaos and uncertainty. And so this past Wednesday, you know, um, it was like a, it was like an orange sky day, right? It was just a really strange day. And I have friends, I think, uh, I see, I see Jin on here. I'm going to, I'm going to call him out because he, he posted this video on Facebook where he um, was calling people to get ready for the zombie apocalypse um, because it was just a really strange day. And there's an article in the Atlantic about how strange the day was because you saw everyone trying to document the day um, with their phones. And the article said that most people's phones just converted the picture into gray. You couldn't fully capture the orange of the sky um, because your camera um, it, you constructs color based on reference points. And there is no reference point for the kind of day for September 9th, 2020. There's no reference point for the chaos and uncertainty, for the darkness that was happening at the beginning of the world, but it signified something. God was about to do something. He was about to do something new. And so when we're experiencing this type of chaos and uncertainty, it could be an invitation, a sign that God is preparing to do something different. And let's face it, he has. I mean, church is going to look completely different. School has already looked completely different. Work is looking completely different. And there is, of course, this strong possibility that it will come back to, this, come back to the way it was, but it probably won't look exactly right. We, we just don't know. There's, a, there's an uncertainty about this time. Um, that God is perhaps wanting to do something new and something different that we do not have a precedent for. So that's the first. God begins in chaos and absence. The second, God creates in rhythm. I want to give three observations. The first day through the sixth day, there are six mentions of the phrase good, that God calls it good. But after mankind is created, male and female God says, very good. So there is a climactic moment within creation. It builds, okay? Creation builds. And then I want you to notice that there is a poetic repetition throughout this book using everyday language. And yet that poetic repetition culminates in the, what, 27th verse when it talks about the image that God created man in the image of God, he created him. And you see a parallelism, a repetition of ideas, and that is a Hebrew facet of poetry. They didn't rhyme sounds in Hebrew, they rhymed ideas. And so you see that happening, and I know this is kind of a micro observation, but you see that repetition happening, repetition in terms of words, and then repetition of ideas, which is a marker of poetry, happening throughout this chapter. And then lastly, if you look at the verbs in which God creates, and again, the macro observation, God speaks, he makes it happen, he separates or gathers, sometimes both. He blesses, then he names or gives purpose. Okay, and sometimes those steps are kind of combined together, but there is a sequence within each day for how God creates each particular object or type of being. Okay, what's my point? Well, God creates in rhythm. He has a order. He is not random. He does not do by accident. And you'll notice he's always speaking first. He always speaks first um, because there is an intentionality on his part. And then notice how God creates all the necessarily necessary elements to sustain humanity before he creates humanity. There is a thoughtfulness for the way he's going about it. 
And the question, so you, the question you might have is why can't God create instantaneously? Why can't he just go boom and make everything happen? And of course he can. But there's something about God's character, and this goes to the nature of what Genesis and the Pentateuch is trying to reveal. There's something about his character that he enjoys the build. He enjoys telling a story with what he's doing. One thing I love to watch is, is or our whole family does, we love to watch cooking shows. And cooking shows, um, for sure, the, the final product is really enjoyable, right? It's really enjoyable to see the final product. But what's most enjoyable to me is to watch the story of the person um, trying to create the dish, okay? And oftentimes, especially in like a show like Chopped, they're given like, I don't know, pig's ears or something strange or Twinkies they have to incorporate into their final dish. And it's, it's part of the story to watch that unfold as they struggle and wrestle and try to figure out how they're going to incorporate because the, they start with this vision and you want to see, can this vision become reality? And so within this text, within Genesis, you see God speaking a vision and then you see him making it reality. And at every step, there's a sequence and there's a rhythm and there's a timing to it because God loves to tell stories. And God is also a musician. And he loves to build things to a crescendo. And that crescendo is humanity. And so my last point, that God speaks purpose and identity. Now notice just earlier I said God speaks first. Whatever he does, he proclaims first to show that it's not an accident, that he has an intention in what he's doing. And so notice in verse 14, God says, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. He's announcing the intention and let them be for signs and for seasons. And it was so, and he makes these two lights, right? There's a greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And so God speaks purpose and identity. God is always speaking purpose and identity. And even though he doesn't name, we'll see naming in Genesis 2, but even though he doesn't give the names yet, you know he's already speaking the purpose for his creation. And these sun and stars have a job and this job is, uh, is anthropomorphic. He's giving a, a, a personal touch to what animate objects are supposed to do. They are supposed to rule, this idea of rule. And this idea of rule is going to be more and more important throughout as we go through Genesis and as we get to humanity, um, which will also work. We're going to cover the same passage next week. So God is giving purpose through the words that he speaks. And this is a pattern that we see throughout Scripture. And so the final point I want to make about God speaking purpose and identity is just to take this classic, iconic uh, phrase from verse 3. God says, let there be light, and there was light. And so that is, the, and that is kind of the template for how God creates. He speaks something, and then it happens. His mouth speaks it, and then his hand fulfills. There's a moment. In the end, there's a moment between when God speaks the word light and when light actually happens. And that pause, it's impossible to measure. We have no idea how long that pauses. It could have been a millisecond. It could have been centuries. But there's this moment between word and light. And that's this pattern we see throughout Scripture. This delay between when God speaks something and when he fulfills it. And it's, it's frankly just maddening, right? It's confusing. It's bewildering. 
I mean, for, for the Jews who were awaiting a Messiah in the first century, they were awaiting for a political deliverer, and they had hoped Jesus would become that person because there were prophecies. God had spoken a word that light would come in the form of a national Messiah who would deliver them from Roman oppression. But that's not what they got in Jesus because that light is still coming. And so perhaps we could meditate today that we are living in this moment between word and between light, okay? Between word and light. And what I would do is have us think about what does it mean to live in that moment between when God has announced something and when it actually happens. And so part of what, you're, um, what you may be dealing with today, some of you are, are experiencing questions in this liminal space between word and light when God may be doing something new and you're struggling to figure out stuff about your home. And home is a place where you live and the nature of home is possibly more important today than ever before. And yet where your home is located is possibly less important today than ever before. And so there are tremendous questions about what does home mean? And then all of us have uncertainty about our future. And that future includes your job. For those in school, it certainly includes your education. You know, I'm hoping for the day when um, my daughter can go to school in person um, soon. And there's questions about relationships, like how do you invest, what relationships do you invest in? in this time? How do you even meet new people? And so we are in that space, in this moment between God, where God has announced something. God has said, hey, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. And yet we're, we're not yet to that full manifestation. And so I want you to know that, that this is the way God works, that he has a timing and he has a sequence and he always starts in chaos and disorder. Abraham, Abram had his name changed when he's 90 years old to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And he waited a year between when that word came to him and when light came, actually really decades before the, the prophecy about being father of many nations became true. And so you see throughout humanity cycles of where God is making promises, God is giving words, and yet there is a delay between when he brings those promises to fruition, when he fulfills those promises. And throughout all of humanity, there is these words. And then man running away from God's words, and then God giving a new word until he gives the new word in Jesus Christ. And in the Gospel of John, it says the word became flesh, and this flesh was light for men. And so God has given his word today through his son. And this word gives light. And we're still, and yet we're still living in this moment where that light has not yet been fully revealed. But the way you bridge between word and light is through faith. The way that you get from word to light is through faith. And so today, if you're searching for a home, if you're searching for a refuge, would you recognize that in the risen Jesus, you have a refuge in him? And it's not to say that you have everything. It's not to say light has been fully revealed, but you have been given meaning and purpose and hope and belonging 
You are a beloved child because of what Jesus has accomplished on your, your behalf in his self-sacrificing love. And God is wanting to do something new. And so at the end of the Bible, in Revelation 22.5, John describes a new Jerusalem. And he says that no light is needed because the Lord God will shine on them. And in that day, light will be fully revealed and faith will no longer be necessary. But until then, while we are in that liminal, liminal space between word and light, would you believe and trust in Jesus, the one who brings newness? And the question that I wanna give, because we're gonna have a time of sharing. Okay, we do a Zoom meeting for a reason. Um, one of that is to enable us to be able to share. I mean, we're a church that wants to welcome dialogue. What is a chaotic or unfinished area of your life that God may be speaking a new word into? Okay, what is a chaotic or unfinished area of your life that God may be speaking a new word into? Let's pray together. Father God, I, I, I saw something the other day about anger and how um, there's just so much, I, I just sense anger today in our culture um, and anger around the unexpectedness and the loss that this season of COVID and fires and racial injustice and job loss has accompanied with. Anger over canceled plans anger over loss of relationship, anger over disruption. So Lord, would you, would you allow us today to recognize that in the midst of loss and uncertainty, there is an invitation to recognize you want to do something new. God, would you help us to see that the pattern of creation, that the pattern of history goes from word to light and that that delay is intentional because you are building a story and you are involving us in the story. And every time you do word and then light, you give a new word. So thank you for the new word that you have spoken through your son. And may we bridge to the light by believing and trusting you, that you are inviting us into something new today. Will we hold on to that word? We pray, that in, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.